What year did you open the online store? Oh, God, we're probably, I don't know, call it eight years. It's been a, it's been a long, strange trip. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about it. This is e-commerce today, where we talk e-commerce every day. I'm your host, Maxwell Murphy. My goal is to help e-commerce companies become the best place in the world to buy the products they sell. I talk strategy. I talk management. I talk about real processes you can put in place to take your e-commerce business to the next level. I interview people who are running successful e-commerce businesses at every scale. We talk e-commerce software, service, and advertising providers. I help you cut through the BS, hang on to your profits, and thrive in the most competitive marketplace ever invented, the internet. Now let's get started. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I've got a great one for you today. Tom gave some of the best advice about hiring that I've ever heard, and there's a ton of other wisdom. We covered a wide range of topics, and I just enjoyed the conversation so much. I'll keep this intro quick, but I wanted to point out one thing. One of the successful patterns we've seen on this show so far is companies that start out as retailers of other people's items, and once they get momentum, they start manufacturing some of their own items in order to get better margins and more control of their destiny. In other words, they start building their own products or their own brands. This is exactly the pattern we followed at Penguin Magic starting back in 2002. On this episode, we're talking to Tom, the founder and CEO of Carbide Processors. They took the exact opposite path. They started out as a pure manufacturer, selling only the items they manufactured. And over time, they became a retailer of items manufactured by other companies. So they started in a different place, but they arrived at the same hybrid retailer plus manufacturer model that Penguin Magic uses, and that we've seen a few times on this program already. I thought this was very interesting. It's not right for everybody, but this hybrid model can be very, very powerful. The way I think of it is some products drive momentum and other products drive profit. E-commerce today is brought to you by PIP. PIP is the easiest way to manage the processes in your business. PIP makes it easy to be a world-class process-focused manager. For a quick demo, go to pip.today. That's P-I-P today. PIP is the perfect tool when an employee needs to do something consistently. If it needs to happen consistently, put it in PIP. PIP gives everyone on your team the superpower of consistent action. Use it for free at pip.today. Our second sponsor is hors Ordurve is a tool that makes it easy to send customized videos to your customers. We use it at Penguin Magic to send each customer a video of their order being packed. The idea is to stand apart from the competition and connect with customers in a way they'll remember. A customized thank you video is another one of my favorite ways to use hors d'oeuvre. This technology gives us a huge opportunity to connect with customers. I love using hors d'oeuvre. You can check it out at hors O-R-D-E-R-V as in video, O-R-D-E-R-V dot com. My guest today is Tom Walls from Carbide Processors. Founded in 1981, Carbide Processors is an independent manufacturing company with a very heavy R&D component. Their first major engagement was helping another manufacturer make better saw blades for less money. Eight years ago, Carbide Processors opened an online store offering a vast selection of the finest woodworking tools. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I wanted to start by going back to 1981. How did you get involved in this whole business and, and carbide processors? Tell us about the start. 1981, we were in the middle of a recession. I was a salesman who kept getting laid off because we were in the middle of a recession. Walked into a company in Seattle that was in the saw business looking for a job. And a guy named Jeff Hewitt said, no, but why don't you start your own business? You can work in your garage, hire a couple of housewives part-time, and get rich. And I didn't know about the getting rich, but anything that looked like a steady income was a good deal. Now, why did he say that? What was your background at the time? I was a salesman out looking for a job. That's all he knew about you, and he said you can do this on your own. Well, yeah, Jeff was a, Jeff was a, I don't know, he was an interesting man in so many ways. He was... He was a fighter pilot at one time, and that explains a lot of his personality, the kind of the kind of go for it, you can do it type of attitude. But the big thing was I was married. I had uh, my wife and I had two kids and (laughs) uh, I did. I kept I kept getting in a recession. You get called in and they say you're doing a real good job, but we have to lay you off. So I, as I say, I was looking for anything that looked like a, 
looked like it might be a steady source of income. Did you take his advice then and decide to set up your own shop in your garage? I did. I did. I spent, I had about $500 and I spent about 350 of that on a, on a little ceramics kiln. And what we did is his company would supply me with carbide saw tips. I would take a pair of tweezers and put a little bit of cut wire in the middle of the saw tip and then put it in the kiln to melt the wire, which was a braze alloy. Then I'd send it back, take it back to Systematic in Seattle, and they would use that. The braze alloy kept the saw tip on the saw. So yeah, that's what I did. At one time, I got about eight people in my garage, one car garage, and moved out and leased a space. So wow. Now, what does carbide mean exactly? Oh, there, there's different names, but basically, it's a man-made material that's it's as, as far as I know, still it's it's the man-made material that's the hardest of anything except except diamond. So tungsten carbide explains the. It's kind of based on the the formation of the molecules, the crystal lattice. But it's basically you take a tungsten molecule, heat it up, pack some carbon inside the lattice, and it makes it a lot, lot harder. Got it. Thanks for going through that. Now, in the early days, you've got a kiln. That's your primary manufacturing tool, right? Right. Yep. You're basically handling one step in the manufacturing process for this other company, but they, they're basically working with you as an outsource provider of that step in the manufacturing process. That's pretty well put, sir. Yes, sir. How did it develop from there? Did you end up with your sales background? Did you end up selling into more and more organizations or where do we go from there? Well, Systematic was, they were my only customer and they knew it and, and I don't know, probably probably shouldn't use the term bully, but it comes to mind. So I knew that sooner or later I had to get out from under just having one customer. And remember, my, my, initial, my initial goal was to have a steady income to feed my kids. So we started looking for, looking for additional customers, and I did it by mail. There are only a couple of hundred, maybe 500 potential customers in the country at that time, a lot fewer now, and they're spread all over the country. So I started doing mailings, and the whole carbide deal was, it was a new use of the material, and guys were interested in it, so I started picking up some other customers. So just mail order and one of the things I copied that seemed to impress people was the publisher's clearance house format where you've got the envelope with all the enclosures and whatnot in it. That was a pretty successful mailing campaign. What do you mean the enclosures? I remember it a little bit, but I don't remember it perfectly. If you get them, you, it's, you know, sometimes all you see is a letter. I think, as I recall, that one had coupons and, and slips of some sort. And it, it just had a, it had a lot of stuff going on it so that you basically... What it did there is that you had to you had to spend a little bit of time anyway sorting through all the different stuff in it. <laughs> yeah. Before you threw it away, and it, it gave them a little bit longer to make an impression. So I see. And what were you sending to people at that time? And and these are these are other manufacturers of tools for woodworking. Is that who your target was? In that case, you can just shorten. At that time, it was just saw blades. Saw blades, people who manufactured or repaired sawmills, a lot of sawmills service their own saws. So yeah, so that's that's pretty much what I put out. And I sent out that I pretend carbide saw tips and were they interested? And it's, it's pretty straightforward. And I kind of like, at that time I was familiar with David Ogilvy. Yeah. I uh, read his book a couple of times. I like Ogilvy. I like the, I like a straightforward approach. Uh, I like the feature benefit format. I like telling a customer what they're going to do. And I, we had a hundred percent guarantee still do for a variety of reasons, mostly because mostly because if they're unhappy, you might as well give them their money back as soon as you can and go on to something else. What are the terms of the hundred percent guarantee? Is it within a certain time frame or any time if they want their money back to get it? Anytime, any reason. It's an old LL, you know, LL Bean had it, Sears had it for a while. If, and there, there's problems with it. We just had somebody who bought, contractor who bought two dozen saw blades and the job was done and he had 10 of them left. So he sent the 10 back for a refund. And we don't get much of that. We get people who will order three or four different sizes of router bits, keep the one they want and send the rest back. And 
it seems to make sense. And I'll tell you, years ago on a Sunday morning in Omaha, I was in a hardware store, little mom and pop hardware store looking at fishing tackle. And there was a guy who wanted to return a sleeping bag. And the woman who owned the store was doing nothing but arguing with him the whole time I was there. So after about a half hour, I, I just set down the stuff I picked up, set it down on a shelf and left because I didn't want to interfere with the argument. It occurred to me then that the easiest thing to do is to go ahead and give them a refund. Hopefully that you'll impress them and they may come back. But you also, as I said earlier, then you can get on to doing the stuff that actually makes you money, which is taking care of the other customers. I sometimes wonder, but we keep doing it. We're, we're planning on keeping doing it. So I love that story and that philosophy because it must inform, as a manufacturer, if you've got that kind of a guarantee, it must have impact throughout your whole organization and, and how you make the products that you sell. Yeah. One of the things we're doing, of course, is that we're competing with Amazon and Amazon doesn't take phone calls. I have three really high quality employees to answer the phone. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, you read the strategies, how to compete with, in this case, Amazon or compete with Walmart or something. And that was it. And what we get is that we will sometimes spend a fair amount of time on the first order, but we make sure the first order is absolutely right. And then after that, they just order online. And one story, a purchasing agent at a military base, and she was told to buy half-inch router bits and had no idea you know, what a half-inch router bit was. And Joe, who, who's a customer service rep here, took the time to work her through that and get her the right router bit and go back and ask the sergeant what they needed. And, you know, after that, we just every now and again see a, she likes us now because she knows, she knows we'll take care of her. And we see a nice order come in from them every now and again. So that's what we're looking for is the long-term repeat orders. Talk me through how the company transitioned over the years to come to the point where you got into internet retail. I, I guess the first thing is that with the saw tips, I have a degree in English literature with a minor in, well, minors in science and business. But at first, I really couldn't, I had non-competes with, with some of my customers, so I couldn't sell anything else. And I was selling to sawmills and saw shops. And as I said, there's only a few hundred of those. Everybody knows where they are. And over the years, I had more and more people copy my technology. And some of them were customers that had come to visit. And we'd give them a tour. And next thing I know, they'd be competing with me. So anyway, so I, I decided to take the high ground and become an expert. And that worked, except I started getting a lot of requests to do research. So we put up a good website so that the kids could have all the information to write their papers and didn't have much to sell. And then early 90s, I lost about two of my biggest customers got bought out within within a couple of weeks of each other by the same company. And I lost about 70% of my gross sales. But I also got me out of the non-compete so we could start selling carbide. So we started doing that. And then the recession hit and got worse and worse. And I had some of the customers, particularly smaller shops that been around for a couple generations in some cases that did a beautiful job, knew nothing about marketing, just just were going by on their, their reputation. So we decided to start selling their tools. One was a little shop down in, in, in Eugene, Oregon, Salem, Oregon, excuse me. Snook Saw. He got Dave the father and Jeremy the son Snook. Really, really fine men. Their quality is is just beautiful, just magnificent. So we made them a deal. We started advertising their saw blades as world's best and custom made. And they were considerably better than anything you could buy because you had experts right there painstakingly going over each one, one at a time before they were shipped. So that worked really well. And then we thought, well, if we're doing that, we ought to start seeing what else we could sell. This is before you started online, right? You're selling these? No, we were, we were online. We, we've been online since, we've probably been online one way or another 15, 20 years. Originally, it was all informational, and we were looking for what we call odd and strange applications. One of them is we sell a, a super scraper, which a guy in Iowa makes, and he saw it, and he contacted us and wanted help making them better, and, and 
we did that, and then we said, hey, these are really cool, and they really are. They're, they're just an old-fashioned, heavy-duty scraper. The, the, the military loves them, the, the Navy particularly. Mechanics love them. If you've really got to do some scraping, this is your tool. But anyway, that's what we were looking for, an application like that. And then, as I, then as I said, the recession hit, and we started seeing what we could do to help our customers. So you got into more and more products. At first, when you were online, it sounds like you were selling just the products that you manufactured. Yep. Yes, sir. And then you started to bring in other items that were compelling to you. It sounds like your focus is on products that are kind of the best in the world at what they do. We like that. Uh, you know, you, you start to get to the point of, of what does best in the world mean? And I, I don't know if, if, if golf clubs or, I don't know, guns. I like to shoot. And I just went out and bought a couple of pistols for the grandkids. They're old enough now, but probably Browning. Browning is a better quality pistol or Kimber or another brand name. But I went with Ruger because because I like it, because it's a proven name. And we're selling we're selling tools to people that people are going to use them. We're selling tools that I don't know, have to work. One of the things we think about is a guy who's, it happens here. It happens to every manufacturer. You get a machine shut down on 3 o'clock Friday afternoon, and then you're in deep trouble. If the wrench you pick up, the hex key, the Allen wrench you pick up, twists on you instead of, instead of turning the screw, then you're in a world of hurt. And we want, we want a tool that's going to be fairly priced for the quality, and we want a tool that is a basic, straightforward tool. So I guess, yeah. Once again, back to the super scraper or our saw blades or whatever. The saw blades, if you're, if you're cutting something, if you're cutting a lot of it in a mill or a cabinet shop or whatever, this is a great saw blade for you. It doesn't have colored plastic on the side because in our opinion, in our applications, that colored plastic is only occasionally moderately useful. Other people feel differently and, and that's just great. But so yeah, we we want a tool that when you pick it up, it feels good. We want a tool that we've we've got a a Joker ratchet wrench from one of our suppliers came out with, and it is just a better, easier to use ratchet wrench. Part of that too is that I'm 70 years old, and over the years I've been hurt one way or another, sometimes because of a bad tool or a tool slipped. And I want a tool that's going to hold up. I don't want to do that to other people. I want a tool that's just going to. I don't work. Now, see, you got me started ranting on this. <laughs> Let me jump in. Now, what percentage of the items that you sell right now, of, of the total sales volume, what percentage is items that you manufacture and what percentage is from other manufacturers? Well, it, it's probably uh, probably about 60% is other manufacturers now. When we were limited by the non-competes, we had the one product line and we did a lot of research a lot of original work on, on application. How do you use it and what happens and whatnot? Because that's what people wanted to know and to give us credibility and so people would think maybe we, we did know what we were doing and, and try us. And that worked pretty well, but it also put us in touch with, I guess what I like to think of as, as some of the best companies in the industry. I mentioned, uh, mentioned the Snooks. Uh, there's super thin saws which makes saws as thin as a dime, which is a hell of a trick. The super thin saws, um, white side router bits, uh, number one in, read it number one by a magazine, and number one for both quality and price, and on and on. But we knew the people, we knew the people who were at the top end in the tool business, people who just, I am sure it's like the radio business or whatever. You know, you go to radio shows or whatever, and... You meet people and you hear the industry gossip and you know who pays their bills and who treats their people well and who treats their customers well. And what's more important is they knew us and they knew we'd been around and they knew we'd done all this research and we had a, thank God, we had a reputation for um, for straight dealing. And so it was, it was easy for us, well, semi-easy for us to go to them and say, hey, can we sell your tools? Now, you said semi-easy. What were the major sticking points? With them? Yeah. Are they already selling at retail, or did they have too many retailers already? What was the sticking point? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. It's, I, I think part of it was uh, Mr. Whiteside of Whiteside Router Bits. 
He said, you know, we thought about we thought about doing our own. He said, but then I saw the job you're doing and I decided to let you do it, which was which was a huge relief. Mr. Whiteside is I don't he I suppose he ought to be nice to me because we sell a lot of his tools because they're great tools, but God help me, I still think of him as Mr. Whiteside. He just he's he's a good old fashioned tool maker. I mean, this guy is nothing but serious about doing it right. Nothing but serious about about the quality he puts into it. That was part of it. Part of it is part of his manufacturers who have no idea what they're doing. You never know if you're going to get it. We sold wooden watches at one time because because they were kind of cool. Not really a tool, but kind of cool, right? And we're selling them, and we're selling them pretty well. And then, then the competition, the retailers, started to complain about our low prices. We were selling them for less than they were. And then we had a deal. Somebody, a, a guy getting married, wanted to buy four matching watches for himself and his groomsmen. God, it, it, it took him about three different tries to get that order straightened out. We kept getting kept getting the wrong watches. They just they just shipped the wrong items. But anyway, that was that was a our big part of it. People who don't know don't understand. One guy told me he says, "I know this a little guy. He made absolutely beautiful wooden toolboxes. I don't know if you'd use them or not, but." But they look great on a desk if a guy had, you know, started with nothing like I did and built himself up and it looked great sitting in your office. So I said, can I sell those? And he said, nah. He said, I know how that works. He said, I do all the work and you take half the money, which, you know, but this guy, this guy had a booth at a street fair and he didn't seem to realize the money we spend and, and. SEO, for example, or just straightforward advertising or contests or promotions or anything else. But a lot of people who are in business really don't know how it works. Yeah, I suppose I'm going to stay there, I guess. With carbideprocessors.com, and I hope that the folks at home check it out, carbideprocessors.com. It's a really interesting site. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about competing with Amazon, a little bit more about competing with Amazon and with your other competition. Well, competing with Amazon, it, 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 uh, I guess what, what happened is, first, uh, just in case anybody gets the and I'm a little worried about this, but in case anybody gets the idea, I'm one of those guys on magazine covers that and I said, oh, I woke up one morning and decided to go on the internet, and now we're doing $43 billion and providing tools to everybody in Africa. You know, that <laughs> we've all seen the article. Oh, you know, and some of those guys do, but... Man, it was a long, hard road, and I, and I think, as near as I can tell, I probably wasted about seventy-eight thousand dollars, one way or another, over the years with people who just had had no idea what they're doing. And you know, web designers, I, I just, man, I don't know. I've never been cheated so much so fast in my life, and I'm kind of naive and trusting, but but still, and all. So, any anyway. Competing with Amazon, we we started. I found a, I finally found at the bank there was a young lady, a, a head teller. She was out working the others about three to one, and nice personality, really, really, obviously, really, really bright. And I said, how would you feel about how would you feel about running my website? Told her I'd pay her more money and give her insurance for her kids, and she decided to try it. Thank God. But but yeah, so we we got it set up, and she's got a. She has a lot of math in college. Uh, she didn't finish, but she wanted to be she wanted to be an engineer. So she has a lot of math, likes the analytics, and we were spending we were spending an awful lot of money buying pay per click ads, including Amazon. And then Amazon bought a company called Small Parts. The Small Parts company is their name. That's what they did. You know, switches and little bitty hinges and screws and everything else you can think of. They were famous nationally. Amazon bought them. So Amazon picked up a lot of distributorships. And next thing we know, Amazon is selling selling tools and parts for less money than we can buy them. And we got looking at the money we were spending and... We we changed our, our techniques. Instead of going for the maximum, we decided to go for the optimum, and we cut our we cut our sales, our total sales, pretty dramatically. But she really increased the bottom line by doing that. And one of the things with Amazon, and in our opinion, just in case Amazon listens, but in our opinion, using Amazon is, um, you know, you're, you're paying somebody, you're, you're paying somebody to compete with you. 
And with their prices, I mean, we, we, we started listing fewer and fewer items because Amazon was selling them cheaper and we could buy them. And then the Amazon uh, advertising rates. And Amazon is just a lot smarter than we are. And they had it fine-tuned to the point where if everything worked exactly right for us, which is pretty rare, then, then we might make a little money. But we were making less and less money from Amazon all the time. Apparently, there are people who are making it, and God bless them, but you know, it's we decided that just wasn't a fight we wanted to fight. Now, were you selling the items that you manufacture through Amazon? Well, we were selling the, the items we manufactured. We were selling a lot of this stuff now. We're, we're, buying, we're buying and selling tools that others manufacture. Uh, white side router bits are still made by white side machine, for example. Southeast Tool router bits are still made by Southeast Tool and so on. So Snook Saws is still making saws. Part of it is our advertising was so good that he really doesn't want to make saws anymore because he's got more work now than he can handle. So he's not complaining very much. This guy and his father are, you know, I, I run across a lot of people that, that talk about being Christians and brag about being Christians and whatnot. And Dave Snook and his father truly, truly live it all the way through. Just very, very high integrity people. So very honest people, very much family people. So that's part of what makes it so much fun to do business is having those connections with other people. So I appreciate hearing you say that. Yeah, it really, you know, it it really is. And, And that's, that's maybe what I meant by for a lot of years in the industry, we knew, you know, we, we, we knew who you could trust, who you wanted to do business with, and who maybe you'd better avoid. So, and we tend we tend to trust people, and we've 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 had some people that have I don't know we're pretty lenient about somebody who owes us money. A lot of our accounts start out online, and then as they grow, they get into a net thirty account, and we bill them and they pay us, and that's fine, and that's working out well for us. Occasionally, we have trouble with somebody, but I don't know that that's not not very often, and. If people tell us, if people come and are straightforward and say, hey, I got this problem, blah, blah, and old-fashioned, but if, if we think we can, if we can trust them, then, you know, if we can trust them, well, no problem at all. And I remember taking a guy came by to pick up some parts, a guy named Tony, and I, I took him outside and walked outside with him, and I said, hey, Tony, you know, I know you're a little behind, but listen, if, if you need it, we can, we can increase your credit limit, you know? You're gonna you're gonna pull through, and we're more than happy to work with you. And I don't know if that's good advice or bad advice if you're running a business, but that's you got to run the business the way you want to do it, I guess. That's fantastic because it gives you something that Amazon doesn't do. Well, yeah, that that's part of it. You know, it's all yeah, that's part of it. But it's also it's I don't know what your world's like, but in our world is full of people who these guys are great at making tools and using tools. And that's what that's about what they've got. And if they go broke, then if they go broke, then in a lot of cases, the whole family's going broke because they all work there. You know, mom keeps the books and father and a son or two or three are, are in the shop and whatnot. And it's pretty tough to say no to people. Pretty tough to say no to people if, if they're straightforward with us. Are most of the people that you're selling to, are they manufacturing something? Kind of depends on how you define it. Manufacturing or or repairing good quality saws get sharpened a lot of times. So I don't know if that's if that counts as repairing or not. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of them are doing that, or or mechanics, or 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 that sort of thing. Gun stocks, military. I mentioned the military. It's a big thrill when we get an order from the military. We sort of feel like we're, you know, helping the boys and girls out there on the front lines kind of thing. So that's probably stretching it a little bit, but that's part of our culture is is a definite, we like to project a definite kind of an old, fa- I don't know, Norman Rockwell, Saturday Evening Post, traditional American values thing. One of the most successful promotions we run is that we'll, we'll, feature a, we'll feature a promotion to honor the dog's birthday. We've got two dogs now that are old golden retrievers that they're sick and they needed homes and they hang around here and we'll run a birthday for them. And, and you know, it's, it's Lucy's birthday, extra 10% off. And, and 
that works. <laughs> people oh, that's will, great. That put a smile on my face. I bet it works. Yeah. Well, people, people, people place orders and say happy birthday, Lucy, and you know that sort of thing. And it's a lot of I, I don't know. Some of the we we've had uh, we've had consultants in over the years that comment on how nice our customer base is. And we're not the we're not in the big money, high competition Walmart or Amazon or anything else. And we don't have stockholders to to answer to. I, I own the place, and we do have a bonus program at uh, bonuses at the end of the year, and then at end of the fiscal year in in July and end of the calendar year. And how do you calculate those? I'm sure a lot of my listeners would be interested in maybe putting in a bonus program at their company. What's your thinking on that, and how does it work? Well, it's new for us because we spent a lot of years losing money. I chose to take money out of my retirement account to support the business during that recession. We just we may be coming out of now. So when we had to pay, we I haven't paid myself back fully yet. But I read the magazines and Entrepreneur is one and Inc. and some of those, and they're always full of employee motivations. All right, now if we meet our sales goals, everybody gets a company hat. Or if we meet our sales goals, then you know you get this or that, and it's I don't know. I bought lunch today, and I because I decided years ago that what works really well is if if you want to if you want to do something nice for people, give them a check. Uh, if you want to if you want to do something nice, just kind of on a casual basis, buy them lunch. You know, in this case, I, hey, I'm going to the bank, and then Arby's. I got to talk to a guy on the radio. Anybody want anything from Arby's? So I don't know. I bought a few sandwiches from Arby's, and and that's that's it. It's a it's real informal. And when I sit down at the end of the year and I talk to the accountant and I try and figure out how much I can afford and you know what tax what I need for taxes and the rest of it, and then I, I I give them a check. And it's I'm very very fortunate with the quality of the staff I have now. They they're trusting people and. What the company's doing is certainly not a secret from them. You know, they're taking the orders and they know what kind of, uh, we have meetings and discuss cost of goods sold and whatnot. But mostly, mostly it's, it's just if things are going well, I give them a chunk of cash. Uh-huh. And it ought to be, it ought to be more formal than that probably, but it's right now it's not. At the end of the year, you'll make a decision about a bonus for each person based on the profitability of the company and on their performance. Yeah, pretty, pretty much there's, there's, Oh, I don't know. Em- Emily runs Emily. Well, there's two Emilys actually, but one's the e-commerce manager. The other one runs the industrial side, and they they've been with me longer and have jobs that are a little more, a little higher. But they they may get a little more money. But basically, and it's I don't know. Then then we're talking. Then we're talking Christmas, and families are a huge deal here. And I don't quite know how many kids. How many kids we have anymore among the employees? But you know, it's a friend of mine, Carol Sizemore, once talking to him about bonuses and whatnot, and he said, "You know, I don't know about you, but with my employees, if I didn't give them bonuses, they wouldn't have any Christmas." And that's that's I don't know. I I, I can't. You know, it's hard to justify that as good business. It certainly would be if I had stockholders or whatever, but. I like doing it. I, I like rewarding people who work hard. Uh, I've been real broke, and it's it's nice to be able to do that. So I don't know. That's that's once again, it's it's a way that works here now. It's as I say, we're going to have to do something probably more formal. Although I'm not sure how much more growing we want to do. With uh, we're out here in Washington State, where the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage is the big deal. Did did that get passed? Yeah, in one version and another, and they're screwing around with it. But, I mean, they'll pass it because it's Washington State. You know, they started changing the laws and raising the minimum wage back in, let's see, what was it, 89, I think I had. 89, I had 52 people working for me. And then they changed the laws. And if you're unemployed, you didn't have to take a job offered you anymore. And you didn't have to go look for a job. And, and my foreman came came in one day and she said, you know, she said, we got very few applicants and I don't want to hire any of them. They were just, Christ, this may be illegal for all I know, but we, we really try and avoid hiring applicants who show up for a job interview stoned. <laughs> Yeah, I hope that's not illegal. They do, <laughs> you know. They 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 do, and and it's um. Oh, I guess my point is, we're really we're spending all the money we can to see how much we can do with how few people. 
And that's that's why we like the um, one of the advantages of e-commerce is that we were in the traditional business. Everybody was on a net thirty, which ended up being about a net forty, about a net forty-three. I think they pay after forty-three days, and more and more time spent by having an employee make phone calls. You know, where's my money? Yeah, can I have a credit card? Then we'd have a couple percent for the credit card. So, how do you calculate how much loss to expect? How much what? How much you're going to have to write off as loss with people that just never pay? What percentage does that end up being in a business like yours? Incredibly low. I don't know if it's a couple percent even. I don't think it's as much as a couple percent. But that once again is, you don't read about that, but a lot of that is specific to the industry. And then once again, the staff, they do a real good job. And we usually, we take a credit card for the first order and then we send them out a Send them out an application form, and it's really funny because it, it, a lot of this is a lot of this are just rock solid people. And you know, God, unless you're unless you're as old as I am, you, I don't know if you remember the old Saturday Evening Post, but Norman Rockwell pictures. And yeah, actually, I remember seeing those pictures hung up at my grandparents' house. There you go. That's the one, and, and it's uh, rock solid values and keeping your promise and, and all that stuff. And these guys, these guys really believe it. And the problem is with a lot of them, they're not—they're great craftsmen, but not particularly good businessmen. And as I say, with the Snooks, we did some advertising for them, and we did, we did some advertising online through the forums, and we donated some of his blades, and we just got a little word of mouth out there, and. People started using him, and, and unfortunately, it, it's, you know, being rock solid, doing what you promised is, a, is still rarer than it should be. But, you know, people found him, and now he's doing well. It, it's, uh, I mean, he's, he's got his big problem now. He just had his fourth child, and it was another girl. And he loves his daughters, but he and his wife were hoping for a boy, so. <laughs> Keep trying. Keep trying. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. That's that's really, you know, give you an idea. I asked him if he wanted to be my guest at the, the woodworking show in Las Vegas, and he said, "Well, he said, thank you." He said, "But you know, with my beliefs, I don't want to go to Las Vegas." He said, "That's just not my kind of place." And that that's that's what I mean, I guess, about about believing and or about about living his beliefs. Maybe you don't hear that many. A lot of people, I don't know. Uh, I'm in mid-rant again, so very, very little debt we have to write off anyway. Let me ask you a question about management. You've had a lot of experience over the years managing people. Do you have any advice for entrepreneurs who are earlier on their journey about managing people? Yeah, but it's a friend of mine, Mark Wallinger, said you hire people that had good mothers. That's great. Yeah, it, but it, you know, and it sounds it sounds cute, but if you start taking it apart... Uh, you know, somebody whose mother tells them to clean their room and somebody whose mother tells them to tell the truth and, and to make sure that you're returning favors and, and that whole bit. It's an industry full of people that, that really believe in that kind of thing to a huge extent. But other than that, no, I don't. By the time we, by the time you hire somebody, I don't know, what are they? They're 18 or they're 40 or 23 or whatever. And their personality is pretty well formed. And I've tried, and once again, like the employee motivation and whatnot, I think it's pretty easy for a manager to demotivate somebody. You get a good quality employee and you treat them poorly. And after a while, they're just going to, mostly good employees who are treated poorly just kind of quietly come in one day and say, boss, I got a new job. Now, when you say treated poorly, can you get into that a little bit more? I mean, obviously, if you're being mean to somebody, but there are other ways to treat somebody poorly also. What are you thinking of specifically? I had a job with Burger King for a few years, turning around restaurants. And when I go into the restaurant, there was at least 40% of the people there who really wanted to do a good job. Then there could be as high as 60% of the rest that, that were just there to screw around and socialize and whatnot. And I do not like horseplay. Uh, any kind of horseplay for any reason, don't like it. It's wrong, I think, because you've got somebody standing there trying to do a good job, and somebody else thinks it's high good humor to interfere with them. And that's just wrong. One time I remember my boss came in, and I had to, my married boss had a girlfriend, and she was going to help me on the night shift. 
And she came in and said, you know, I think I'm going to sit back here at the desk and do paperwork. So that's what she did. And I didn't think that was fair to the other employees. Had another boss also married who came in and he wanted me to hire his girlfriend's his girlfriend's son. God, this was this was in the fast food business again. And I remember it was a Saturday rush, and some little teenage girl, and by little I mean physically small, had a you know twenty seven pound case of uh, French fries on her shoulder, hustling to keep up and. All we can think of this guy to do is sweep because he's pretty much worthless. And as this little girl's going by, he reaches out and grabs her rear end. And I think permitting that sort of behavior is bad management. I think you would owe your employees a description of what good is. I like to let my employees think. I don't know. Have you been doing this all your life? My background is I started a company in 2002 called Penguin Magic. And we became the largest yeah. seller of magic tricks in the world. Cool. We manufacture and retail through penguinmagic.com. We sell about 10,000 items. We manufacture a smaller percentage of those. Some of the struggles that we've had in managing people revolve around giving people sort of the freedom to do their thing. Um, we've struggled with micromanaging people, giving people more autonomy, and giving people more budgetary control. Yeah, you've got to... I think you have to do it, particular, as I say, where, I mean, when I had 52 people, I had layers and layers of management, and it seemed like every morning would start out with a discussion, what are we going to do about so-and-so? Because there was always somebody that wasn't showing up or whatever, but I think it's, um, you know, once again, Mark Wallinger's mother is, is hire people, and God, they're hard to find. The last one we hired was, uh, her name's Joe, and she'd been working for uh guy that sold car parts and they had family trouble and the guy wasn't paying attention to business and wasn't interested in doing anything. Joe had marketing ideas and I think Joe came to us and said that she wanted, she'd really like to start at $12 an hour and we had to tell her that that was a problem because the starting rate for this job was, was 15. So we cleverly talked her into taking more money, but she's learning and she's learning well and you have to, you have to let them learn. Right now, I'm so happy with my staff that I'm afraid to talk about it for fear of jinxing it. Yeah, well, I, I bet you've got very little turnover. It sounds like the way you think of the people and the respect that you're giving them, I can tell it's a great place to work. Maybe. it. I don't know. There's been all kinds of problems over the years and a lot of things that I've done that I think I'd do differently if I did it again. You know, layoffs. I just hate to... If you got to lay off, lay off, I guess would be a piece of advice. I'm not, not at all good at that. But, but it surprises me. A lot of people aren't, aren't really concerned about being out of work. And I always was. Whenever I got laid off or lost a job, I think I had enough money to live on for three days. At one time, I was sleeping on a friend's couch, didn't have a job, my car wasn't running, and, and that sort of thing. So it's, uh, I don't know, I keep flashing back to that. Once again, if you like me and share my beliefs, then maybe I'm a pretty good manager. Although, you never know. I had one employee who was a great employee, and then her husband was, he was in the National Guard, and I remember that one summer his National Guard unit was in Hawaii for training. He was there with his girlfriend, and I told her he wanted a divorce, and he going to stick her with the kids, and she was just bitter, furiously bitter, and, you know, rightly so. And we kind of ignored stuff for a while. I remember she talked once about unionizing. <laughs> and I said, well, here. I said, here are the keys. Here are the keys. You got a payroll due in four days. <laughs> when I went back to lock up a couple hours later, the keys were still sitting there. So wow. I don't know. What, what a great moment there. That's a fascinating story. It reminds me of one of my mentors who used to have me sit in his chair once in a while and ask me what I thought he should do about something, which I really enjoyed from an employee perspective. Yeah. Mostly here, we're pretty well agreed on it. And we try and be, we really try and be numbers driven. And I see that. I don't know, if I'm dealing with my e-commerce manager, you know, an attractive young woman, and she and I have agreed that the basis of our relationship is either cold, hard cash or bottom line dollars, but that's it. And we let the numbers do a lot of the managing. You have to have good numbers and you have to have employees who understand the numbers. 
it's a huge amount of work to find them. And we, we hired somebody a couple of years ago that she had everything going for her. She had looks and brains and education and personality and high intelligence level. And unfortunately, she also had a severe marijuana habit. And I guess she got an income tax return and quit coming to work. Wow. Then I got a call from her father saying, will you tell me the truth? And I said, yes, sir. And, and he asked, and I said, well, her tw- she had a Twitter feed that I think it was hail marijuana, something like that, <laughs> but, where she talked about staying home and smoking all day. And Wow. You know, you, you, uh, man, you never know until you get them in and give them a chance. Yep. I don't, anyway. If you had to hire somebody this month, how would you approach that? Where do you find the people? How do you get people to send in resumes? We've used Craigslist before. I was looking at ZipRecruiter recently. How do you guys hire people? Well, I guess Craigslist. We'll put something on Craigslist. We'll start asking around, and and that usually doesn't get us very far because the people I want to hire are the same people you want to hire. And my buddy, the insurance agent, he wants them to have a license, but they're intelligent, they're honest, they show up for work, they've got a good work ethic, if you will. They're going to be honest, they're going to treat people well, that sort of thing. So Mercurio's, Mercurio's heating and air conditioning is a neighbor, and they hired somebody and said, where'd you find her? And she said, we just keep running Craigslist ads till somebody's head pokes up above the crowd. Uh-huh. I love that. That's great advice. Yeah, but you know, it's... <laughs> With, with with Joe, she came in and, I don't know, we tried interviewing and, God, there were so many people and got all confused. And, you know, that, that Craigslist, you run an ad and, and God knows what's going to turn up. <laughs> yep. But anyway, Joe came, Joe came in and we, we finally decided just to advertise an open interview one afternoon. And the joke is, Joe came in and, and she wouldn't go home. So we had to hire her. But she came in and she said, here's the deal. And, you know, my boss would give me a good reference. And I always like that. And she said, you know, he really doesn't have any place for me. And my job's kind of getting eliminated as the business shrinks. And But then she said, she started asking questions. Well, how do you do this? And what happens here? And, and on and on. And she just showed a huge amount of real interest. And it's 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 funnier if I tell the story that, you know, we, we had to hire her because she wouldn't go home. But basically, she just came in and, and she kept asking good questions. And she was dressed. She had obviously gone to some pains to dress. And I always like it if it's, you know, when I was hiring people for the back, if they'd come in and they were wearing a clean T-shirt and jeans or something that, that was clean, then they got a lot of points for that. Somebody who acted like the as though the job was important. I guess probably one of the things I do like to do is that I'll ask them several times in several different ways why they want the job. I remember one time a woman, it was an assistant to the bookkeeper years and years ago, and she said, I said something, and then after the third or fourth time, she says, I hate office work. I said, I hate office work. I want to write a novel. (laughs) And I said, why are you in here applying for a job? So well, I have to make a living. I kind of like to hire people for what they want to do. We've tried people over the years from these the government rehab programs and whatnot. And, you know, it's loggers. Loggers are a big deal out here because there's less logging all the time. And they grow up with a particular culture, generations of being a logger. And a lot of these guys are really bright, but that's what they've done all their life. And when they're not logging, they're hunting or fishing. And sitting inside manufacturing parts is just it, just, it just feels wrong to them. It's no reflection on who they are or what they do or anything else. It's just, it just doesn't feel right to them. You know, I made a comment once at the chamber or something that, that I could tell, I could tell within a matter of minutes whether I was going to hire someone or not. And a friend later corrected me and she said, what you mean is you know within a matter of minutes if you're not going to hire them. Mm-hmm. Manners, manners are extremely important important here that you're just that you're polite and nice to other people that's a huge deal with us and part of this is we never I mean, we never know who's on the other end of the phone we had a we had a guy stop in last week about a week ago and this guy runs a sawmill back in michigan and this guy this guy was incredibly sophisticated and he was intelligent and he was he was really well educated 
And thank God that I don't know if we impressed him or not, but I don't think we out and out insulted him. <laughs> well, you know, this this guy was he was just about as I don't know. He, he was he was a very very impressive individual simply because of 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 who he was. And there are people out there that have jobs that you know it's almost impossible for them to tell you what their job is without sounding like they're bragging. Uh huh. Met a guy who's the production manager for Super Thin Saws, which is which is an incredibly good company making just really really beautiful saws. And he wasn't bragging; he was just telling me the truth, and it was important at the time. But but boy, that's 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 a really impressive thing to be in our industry. So and I, I guess well, I don't know, probably like oh, I have a radio show. Damn, that's pretty cool. You know, even if you just tell people you're not bragging, it's still cool, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's you're not ashamed, certainly, but you know, it's. So I don't know. This is something I've given a lot of thought to, and I still have more questions than answers. I have taken up enough of your time, Tom. It's been a pleasure to connect with you. Hopefully we can follow up down the line, and you know, there's, there's so much that we could talk about and, and dig into more of the details, but I think we've given people a wonderful glimpse at your story and the journey that you've been on. Thanks so much for spending the uh, can time I add, with us. Can I add something just briefly? Please. I guess one of the things that really bothers me is that all the stuff I got sucked into where they've got a magic system or a magic formula or something, uh, man, nothing takes the place of hard work, hard work. As I say, I've got $78,000 that one way or another we pissed away on people that I don't know if they're honestly ignorant about how bad they were or just running a con or what, but it's, man, be, be real careful about the, about the instant overnight success. It's all hard. In our case, it's all hard work. No, unfortunately, no secrets. So. That's a great secret in and of itself. I've had the same experience. It seems like when you get up and running with an e-commerce business, and that's where I started, but I'm sure it's the same with your business when you were just manufacturing before the internet even came around. When you get up and running, there's a ton of people that want to sell you something. <laughs> it sounds familiar, sir. It yeah. sounds familiar. And, and they're selling a solution to your problem. And it sounds so easy when they say they're going to solve it. But man, the, the big lesson that I've learned is Make sure you understand in detail what they're going to do, exactly what they're going to do. If I'm hiring search engine optimization, I want to be down minute by minute. What are they going to do? I want to at least make sure I understand it, and then I can decide whether or not to pay for it. But I've had that same experience where so many things are just just money down the drain. That's pretty nicely put. I may, I may, I may use that. Pass it on. <laughs> I may even give you credit. Who knows? So. Well, thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. As you advertised, it has been a pleasure. Oh, thanks so much. Tom Waltz from CarbideProcessors.com. Thank you very much, Tom. Take care. Bye now. That's it for this episode of e-commerce today. Thanks again to Tom Walls from Carbide Processors. Thanks to our sponsors, Pip.today and Hors And thanks to you for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode.